Didn't they do a great job on this set? Oh my gosh. We, we asked our creative team if they would give us for this summer a, a context where as we reflect on God's truth, we would do it as if we were experiencing God's creation and man, did they get it. And now you have no excuse to choosing nature outside the building instead of nature inside the building this summer. So... If you're a guest, welcome to Northridge. Glad to have you as we start this new series called Unforgettable. I, I've had a lot of unforgettable moments in my life, in every area, really. Uh, I've had unforgettable relational moments. The very first time I saw my wife, Roxanne, an unforgettable moment. 33 years later, I can still see her, see that moment changed me. The moment that each one of our three kids entered the world and our lives, unforgettable. On the other side of the spectrum, I was with my dad the moment he passed from this life into God's presence and, you know, it's an unforgettable moment. In my vocational life, I've had a lot of unforgettable moments. Uh, the very first church in all the world where I ever stepped out on the platform to give a talk, you need to know I was very new in the faith, and you know I was a mess up when I was younger, so the only church that would invite me was a church in another country, and so that's where it was. It was in southern Ireland. I had, I had joined an outreach team in southern Ireland, and they invited me to you know, this young new believer to step out on a platform of an old traditional Catholic church, irreverent, messed up Brad. And, and it was in that moment that I think for the very first time in my life, I, I was doing what I think I was created to do. It, it was unforgettable. The first time I spoke in this church, it wasn't in this building, it was in an old location, very different church, but it was an unforgettable moment for me, an unforgettable moment for those who were there, and most of them left the church immediately, of course, but it was an unforgettable moment. The first time I walked out on the platform of this building after seven years of blood and sweat and tears and ministry and so many people making so many sacrifices for us to take the mission of Jesus forward and to step out on this platform was just an unforgettable moment. It was a big deal. I've had some unforgettable recreational moments. The very first time I jumped out of an airplane. No, let me go back. The only time I ever jumped out of an airplane was an unforgettable moment. I had the privilege of, in the Pacific Ocean, taking a night scuba dive where we were all hovered down towards the bottom of this huge rock in the Pacific Ocean, black all around us, and put a spotlight up, and all of a sudden, 14-foot wingspan manta rays came in and were swimming around us, and it was like I was in another world. It, it was unforgettable. The first time... 
I ever broke 70 for 18 holes of real golf. Okay, that never happened, but it would have been unforgettable if it had happened. It would have been an unforgettable moment. Spiritually, I've had some unforgettable moments. I had a lot of baggage growing up of religion. It just turned me off. I didn't understand the whole religion thing, the whole language thing. And I, um, I rejected the idea of God really in my life because of the religion thing. And when I was able to finally climb over all of the garbage that kept me away from him and discover that God was real and personal and I could know him, when I put my faith in him, that moment was an unforgettable moment. I mean, to this day, I can remember that moment. In fact, everything of value in my life today, everything of significance in my life today comes from that moment when I finally got over the junk and I put my faith in Jesus. Uh, the first time the Bible started to make sense to me, I, I was challenged one summer to open the Bible on my own and to read it and study it on my own. And it was always hard to do because it, I don't know if you found this, but it, it, it can seem like gibberish at first. It's like, why? I don't get it. I didn't understand. It seemed so difficult, so foreign to me. And I started really digging into it. And all of a sudden, it became everything it promised to become for me, the living word of God. I really started experiencing God speaking to me. When that started happening, it was unforgettable. From times like that and from times like these where others were teaching me, I've, I've experienced some truths from God's word that have forever changed me and defined my life, transformed me. They have become unforgettable moments in my life that have marked me forever. And, and that's really what the series is all about. Helping you to experience the unforgettable when it comes to God. Helping you to experience his voice, his truth, opening up into your lives in a way that changes you. And so every talk in this series is going to be based upon an unforgettable truth that has absolutely shaped me or the one who's giving the talk. And this summer we are going to be so privileged to have phenomenal communicators from all around the country coming in and sharing the burden of this series with me, and we're going to hear from their voices unforgettable truths that have transformed their lives. And here's the goal, that these truths will become unforgettable in your life and shape you. It's going to be a terrific series, and if you make the choice to, to come, it'll change you. If you make the choice to invite others, it will change them, and I hope you will this summer. This weekend, I'm kicking off the series with uh, a grouping of three truths over the next three weekends that have been such unforgettable truths in my life that they've actually become the markers for my spiritual journey. You know, the markers. On any, on any road, you've got markers to keep you on the road, keep you in the right direction. And the three truths I'm going to share over the course of the next three weekends to kick this series off have become my markers on the spiritual journey. These truths keep me from crashing and burning, which would be so easy without them. These truths are the ones that, in the, in the words of the Coldplay song we just experienced, keep me from getting lost in my journey. Keep me on the path that's going to move me forward in my relationship with God. These are important truths. And this weekend, the unforgettable truth that has so transformed me is the truth that God tells us about 
our heart, its importance in our lives. In fact, the unforgettable truth I want to share with you is simply this. Everything we are in our lives right now, everything we do, everything, and I mean everything we're going to become in life, is ultimately determined by, shaped by, our heart. I didn't know this growing up. I thought, you know, if, if I just did the right things on the outside, everything would be okay. That's just not true. Everything I am today has been shaped by my heart. Everything I do today has been shaped by my heart. And everything I'm going to become tomorrow is going to be shaped by my heart. And the same is true for you. There's no escaping this. And this is true in every area of life, personally and professionally relationally and yes spiritually the inward circumstances of our life are far more impacting than the outward circumstances of our life the truth is outside events do shape us but the inward character which determines our choices shapes us more look at how Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 15 starting with verse 7 you hypocrites that's in Greek, hypocrites, it's a Greek theater term that dealt with masks. And back in Greek theater days, they, one character could play many different roles because they just switched the masks and they're mask wearers. And Jesus is talking to the religious leaders here and he says, you play actors, you mask wearers, you're playing a role that isn't who you really are. And he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts... Far from me. They, they worship me in emptiness in vain. Their teachings are just rules. Outside rituals taught by men. The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man clean or unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Jesus is simply saying... Everything we are, do, and will ever become is ultimately determined and shaped by the heart. When we fail spectacularly, though we love to blame others, it's really determined by our own heart. When we succeed spectacularly, it's determined by our heart. I mean, that's what Jesus is teaching. What we do and don't do stems from our inward character. What's in our heart is going to surface in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. This truth has changed me because now I know I can't point the finger at others and say you're the problem I have to point the finger at my heart and say I'm the problem it's a big deal this passage reveals that the things that ruin my life and you know every day I stand on the cliff and I can enjoy the mountaintop experience God has for me or I can fall and experience the destruction I can make for myself and it's all based upon where my heart's at in that moment the thing that ruins our lives as human beings, ruins our relationships, robs us of our reputation, and steals the opportunities in life that God has given us. It, it all stems from the inside of us, not the outside of us. It comes from the heart. You see, the condition of the heart is what creates the character of our lives. The, the condition of our heart is what creates the character of our relationships. It's a big deal. And so we need to be concerned about and careful about our heart. In fact, here's what God says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, 
Guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. What I love about the stage context that our team has created for us is that it's all about this, this well of water that's springing out. And we all can drink at the fresh waters that God has for us, but many of us drink from the polluted waters that we've created for ourselves, but it's all determined by the heart. And I didn't know it, and I made so many bad choices early on because of it, and I think many of you might be challenged in the same area. Your heart's a big deal. You see, in Jesus' day, without even recognizing it, the religious and spiritual leaders who knew God's word inside and out had become more concerned with their outside behavior, their rituals and their traditions than they were with their heart. And as a result of that, without even recognizing it, they had started to fall in love with all the wrong things. They had started loving their positions and their power and their prosperity and the things that the world values more than the things that God values. And it was without even recognizing it because their heart got off. And sadly, I I found that the same can be true of me. At any given time, my heart can start to wander away from where it's supposed to be and And I can start falling in love with all the wrong things. It might look the same to you, but you know, I can start falling in love with giving a talk to you instead of the reason I'm supposed to be giving a talk to you. I can start falling in love with you applauding me instead of God applauding me. I can start falling in love with people thinking I'm successful with no concern as to whether God thinks I'm successful. And it can be easy if my heart gets off and the same is true with you. It can ruin our lives. And so over time, I've I found that I'm going to get off unless I know and I watch for and I take heed to the warning signs, the danger signs that get God gives me, the markers in my life. Uh, our team put what would normally be in a state park, any place you'd have trails and that kind of things. And by the way, I just think it's appropriate that Northridge has its own state park, don't you? And, and there are all kinds of signs, you know, like, you know, cliff ahead and bears in the area and fire danger low. And I'm thinking if you're in a church, the fire danger should be low, right? Uh, Those outside of the church might have to be more concerned of fire than us in here, maybe. I don't know. You know, it's just kind of a spiritual metaphor. But danger, falling rocks. If you don't take heed to the warnings, you could actually be hurt by that, right? And the same is true in our spiritual life. I have found that that I wander into very dangerous territory when I'm not paying attention to the warning signs, the danger signs, that there's something wrong with my heart. And the reason I care about this is because my heart is going to shape who I become, My heart is going to shape what my relationships with my wife and family and you are going to be like. My my heart's going to shape whether or not I ever experience the fulfillment of God's purpose in my life or not. My heart is going to shape it. And my heart gets off so quickly. And so I've had to say, what are the danger signs? And so what I'm going to do this weekend is I'm going to give you the danger signs. And I have to warn you, I've I've been away for a couple of weeks in Israel, right, with a team from Northridge, and so I haven't spoken here in a couple of weeks, and I was in Israel 
where Jesus walked. And so I, I hope you're ready for this three-hour talk I've put together for you because it's going <laughs> to... It's going to be forever. And I, I'm being very serious. Not that it's going to be three hours, but I've, I've put together like three hours of passages I want to share with you. So, um, I mean, I hope you're ready to buckle your seatbelts and, and dig in. I'm going to cruise through this. The first danger sign that I, I find in my life that really says I'm experiencing some big heart problems and I better get it right or I'm in trouble is when I start comparing myself to others. The, the warning sign would be don't compare. Don't compare. When I start comparing myself to others, you know what I start doing? I start competing with them. I start trying to climb on their shoulders and on their head, and I try and become king of the hill and, and, and keep them down. But that's not at all how God's created life to be. Did you know I can be everything that God created me to be, and you can be everything God created you to be, and we're never in competition with one another? In fact, the only way we can be great is if we help each other become all we're supposed to become. But I start comparing myself with others. And this, this might surprise you. I mean, God's done some great things here at Northridge. This is an amazing place. It's impacted a lot of people's lives. I get that. But you know, there are other pastors who are doing amazing things in this world. Churches that are doing some amazing things. And I have this propensity to start comparing myself and Northridge to other pastors and other churches. And when they start, you know, getting bigger than us, I want to kill them. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, how dare them, right? I mean, I, and I, I really, it's like, it's a problem. And then I start competing against them instead of cooperating with them. Uh, shouldn't I celebrate when God is using another church to impact thousands of lives? Shouldn't I be celebrating that? But I can get to the place where I'm not celebrating and I'm really quite upset about it. And, and that's a problem with me. And you do the same thing. I mean, when, when this starts happening and we start comparing ourselves with each other and competing with each other, it, it's just a danger sign. It's a warning sign that you're you're experiencing a heart problem and this is bad because your heart's going to lead you then to the wrong place. And you know what the heart problem is, right? Jealousy. Jealousy. It's a big deal. In fact, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 7 through 9. King Saul was the king of Israel. I mean, he had the best position in the world. He was king over God's people and yet he destroyed it because he got jealous. Look at 1 Samuel 18, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Uh-oh. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They've credited David with ten thousands, he thought, and with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? They're going to want him to be king instead of me. And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. He had a heart problem, jealousy, and when I'm comparing, I have the same problem. And you can read it on your own in 1 Corinthians 3, the first couple of verses. God says jealousy and spirituality can't coexist. It's a big deal. And so I have to look for the solution because I don't want to be driven by jealousy and end up where Saul did. I don't want to be driven by comparison. So what's the solution? Well, God says if you're going to overcome this heart problem, if you're going to get back on the path and not crash and burn, you need to celebrate others. And cooperate with them instead of competing against You need to celebrate others. Look at how he says it in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. I'm just telling you, the opposite is natural for me. When someone else is mourning, and I'm not talking about grieving the loss of a loved one or something. I'm talking about their mourning like things aren't going really well for them in their life. <laughs> That's when I celebrate because it means I'm doing better than them. When they're celebrating, that's when I mourn because that means they must be doing better than me. This is a problem. So I have to celebrate others. I I got back from Israel and had no time to recover. I had to hop a plane and I went out to a pastor's round table um, with other very, very, very large church pastors. I didn't want to go. The last thing in the world I wanted to do. But here's why I did it. I have found that it's very, very important for me to sit with other people that God is using often far more significantly than he's ever used me or ever will and celebrate them and cooperate with them and learn from them because it's good for my heart. You have the same problem. There's another danger sign I have found in this world. It's a huge danger sign for me and it's when my heart starts exploding in all the bad ways. So the warning sign would be, warning, explosive combustible heart. And and by exploding, I mean uncontrolled intensity. Now, I'm sure this is very difficult for you to imagine because here on the platform, I know I'm so gentle and so kind and so meek and so mild. But in truth, I'm... (laughs) That's all sarcastic, by the way. I'm very intense human being and I have to control that intensity but when my heart starts getting off I start being controlled by my intensity I start exploding in very negative ways the same thing happened to Saul in 1 Samuel 20 he was the king but he disobeyed God and so God said I'm taking the kingdom away from you and I'm giving it to David which meant that Jonathan Saul's son wouldn't be king David would be king And this really ticked Saul off. And he's talking to Jonathan here. And it says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, his son. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Now, in our language, that could be said in one word, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) You just have to understand the Bible, you know. I told you it opened up to me in special ways, right? Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, David, to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as David, the son of Jesse, lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now, what's he upset about? He's upset that the son he loves won't be king because of David, Jonathan. And so he says, you need to send and bring David to me, for he must die. I'm going to kill him. And look at Jonathan's response. Why should he be put to death? What's he done except obey God? When you've disobeyed God. And Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan. To kill him. Who did he love most in the world? Jonathan. Who did he throw a spear at to kill? Jonathan. Why? Because his heart had been so corrupted. That he couldn't control his own anger. His heart problem was anger. Anger itself is not a problem. You can, if you respond appropriately to anger, use it for great benefit, but most of us don't. We let our anger control us, and it becomes destructive. And so what's the solution? When I start seeing my heart become uncontrolled in its intensity, expressing anger, what happens is 
if I'm not careful, I'll start throwing spears at the people in the world I love the most, hurting and cutting with my words the people I care about more than anything in the world. Because you see, I'm going to do what my heart is like. I'm going to become what my heart shape is. And so when I see this danger sign, I look for a solution. You know what the solution to this uncontrolled intensity is? The solution simple, forgiveness. Whether someone's really wronged us or not, in Saul's case, David did no wrong, but he thought he was robbing his kingdom from him. The solution is to forgive because when you forgive, you can let go of the anger and the intensity. Look at how God says it in Ephesians 4, 26 and 31 and 32. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Get rid of that bitterness, that rage, that anger, that brawling, the slander along with every form of malice. And here's how. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So when my heart starts to get angry the solution is to forgive the same is true for you there's another big danger sign for me in my life and it's best defined by the word looking looking and by that I mean when I start looking at the wrong things or the wrong kind of things when I start wanting and longing for the wrong kind of things in the wrong way, it's a clear sign that my heart's really getting off the trail, that I'm going to crash and burn. This is what happened in 2 Samuel 11 with David, verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Stop. What should he have done? He should have said, danger, 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 danger. And then he should have gone and turned on ESPN and watched Sports Center, right? <laughs> he didn't do it. David sent someone to find out about her. He was driven by this longing and this junk going on to him. And the man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, one of your soldiers? Warning, warning. Don't look at this stuff. Don't go there. But he didn't heed the warning. And as a result, remember, we are and do and become the shape of our heart. And he blew it with Bathsheba. He still sent the messengers to get her and destroyed himself, destroyed his family in many ways and destroyed the kingdom in many ways. He overcame his failure, but the consequences were big. And the danger sign when he was looking at the wrong thing was simply this. You have a heart problem and your heart problem's lust. Lust. This is a big problem in our world. Look what Jesus said about it in Matthew 5, 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Those are really hard words for us in our culture because in our culture we've been taught it's okay to look, you just can't touch, right? It's okay to look, you just can't touch. I just need to tell you something. That's absolutely wrong because the looking is a clear indication that your heart is in the wrong place and it's going to drive you to be the wrong person. Because the character of your relationships and the character of your life comes from the heart. This is a horrible thing to 
to be, and I, I'll just prove it to you. It's okay to look but not touch, right? Is that what you would say to a young man who was leering lustfully at your 15-year-old daughter? Is that what you'd say? Don't think so. I used to take my girls around and I used to at times say, just watch the eyes of young men as women walk around them. Is that what you want the person you're going to marry to be like? This is a problem, and I'm telling you, many of us have seen the danger sign, and like David, we've just walked right through it, and we're becoming all the wrong kind of people. But there is a solution. When we're looking at the wrong things, the solution is look up. Look up. Look at how Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says it. Since then you've been raised with Christ. You've been raised out of the manure. You've been raised out of the darkness with Christ. So set your hearts on things above. Look up where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Look up, not on earthly things. When you're looking at the wrong things, it's time to look up. But I have found that looking up at the clouds doesn't help me all that much because I look up at the clouds and then I look at, again, that which I'm not supposed to be looking at. The only way I've found to look up is by looking into God's word because that's where I see who he really is, who I should really be. Look at Psalm 119, verse 11. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you that I might not crash and burn, that I might not get off the path I'm supposed to be on. I've hidden your word in my heart. So the solution for me is simple. When I start looking at the wrong things, I know my heart's getting off, and so I look up by looking into God's word, and it changes me. It would change you too. There's another huge danger sign in my life as it relates to my heart, and it's when I go into hiding, when I go into hiding, Warning, hiding is destructive, hiding. And we live in a culture where we're hiding. Talk about hypocrites, you know, the word hypocrite. We're, we've learned to wear masks really well, haven't we? We're play acting. We can be living atrocious lives and come into places like this and say, praise Jesus, you know, really? We pretend to be people we're not so people won't know who we really are. And here's what I found. There's always a reason for hiding. When I start hiding who I am from Roxanne, my wife, when I start hiding who I really am from those closest to me, when I start playing a role instead of being who I am, when I start hiding on this platform and pretending I'm something I'm not, it's always an indication of a great problem. A heart problem. Look at David in Psalm 32. We know he's already blown it with Bathsheba. Verse 3 and 4, it says, When I kept silent, he went into hiding. He put on a mask. He pretended still to be the great king, even though he was a lousy scoundrel at this point. And he says, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, God, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped, as in the heat of summer. Destroyed him inside out. And the heart problem was guilt. When I go into hiding, very often the problem is guilt. I'm ashamed of who I am. When I start covering myself up so you can't see me, it's because I'm ashamed of 
what I've done. If I can't look at myself in the mirror, I'm certainly not going to look you in the eyes unless I've got fake eyes on. And, and I know you're listening to me talk, but you know this is the reality of your life. Some of you have been walking through the danger sign of hiding for a long, long, long time. You've got so much guilt in your life and it's eating you up like it did David's. But the good news is there's a solution. He said, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear in Psalm 38 verse 4. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. And I've been there, you get there, but God's given us a solution. When we see the danger sign and we start hiding behind masks, the solution is confession. Confession. Now, I know a lot of you are raised, raised in religious backgrounds. This is, does not mean you should call my office and come in and dump all your crap at my door. That's not what this is about. This is about acknowledging and confessing who you really are to the one who already knows. That's what David finally did. Psalm 32, verse 5, he said, I acknowledged my sin to you finally. I stopped covering up my, my iniquity and I said, I'll confess. I'll acknowledge my transgressions to the Lord. And you know what happened when he stopped hiding? And you, God, forgave the guilt of my sin. As long as I was hiding, I had to bear the guilt of my sin. But when I came out of hiding, you took it from me. I'm telling you, some of us are destroying our lives trying to hide the guilt when all the time if we'll come out into the open with God, he'll take it away. Who we all are without forgiveness is absolutely a mess. But who we can be when we confess to him no longer needs to be masked. And so what's the solution? Confession. And it's not just for David, it's for us. 1 John 1, 9 says it. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just, not to hit us with a baseball bat for it, but to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. He'll take the guilt away like he did with David. And this is important because when your heart is filled with guilt, it drives you to live self-destructive lives. But when your heart is free from that guilt, you can become who God shaped you to become. Another danger sign for me is when I start hoarding, when I start consuming, when I start thinking that getting more and more and more will make me happier and more fulfilled, and it's just not true. But we do it. This is exactly what King Ahab did in 1 Kings 21. You can read it on your own, but he had all the vineyards he could have ever wanted, but a guy named Naboth had a vineyard that he didn't own, and so he wanted that vineyard too. And ultimately, they got rid of Naboth so he could have it. You know what the heart problem is? When I start consuming and taking and thinking that more stuff will make me happy, the, the heart problem is greed. Take, 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 take. Look what Jesus said in Luke twelve fifteen. He said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because here's the reality. In spite of what culture says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And a lot of us think if we just had something more, we'd be more happy, and that's just not true. You know what the solution is, right? Generosity. We live in one of the richest cultures the world's ever known, and even those who are the poorest among us are richer than a lot of people around the world. All of us have a safety net that 
the poor around the world don't have. And yet we're in one of the least generous periods of time in our culture. Where the average person isn't really all that generous because we think we need more and more and more. Look what God says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8. Remember this, whoever sows, gives sparingly, will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided, and here's the operative, in his heart to give. Generosity is a function of the heart because greed is a function of the heart. And don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. That's a greedy person being stripped of what they have. God loves a cheerful giver because that reflects a generous heart. And how can we have a generous heart? Because God is able to make all grace abound towards us so that in all things at all times we'll have what we need and even more importantly we'll abound in every good work. Just so you know, generosity shouldn't be motivated by getting more and more and more stuff because that's greed. Do you know what generosity motivated by greed is? Greed. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look at when you're generous, what happens is your heart is transformed so that you can abound in the work that God has created you for. It's not a get more stuff thing. It's a become a better person thing. And I see it in my heart. I can slowly but surely start consuming more and more for me and becoming less generous unless I see the danger sign. How about you? When's the last time you were generous in any way? I'm not saying throwing a quarter in the offering plate. I mean generous. Not being stripped of that which you really want, but cheerfully giving. When was the last time, really? That's a danger sign. There's another danger sign for me. It's a big one. It's when I start pursuing independence. Warning, don't go it alone. And yet I have this tendency to try and do it alone like I'm somebody that can do it on my own. I seek control as if I was controlling, the world would be a better place. I pursue independence as if doing my thing is going to get me to a better place. And as a result, I start resisting God's ways and it's always a danger sign. In 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16, there was a king who had been great for a good part of his, his reign, but then he blew it. Look at Uzziah. He became very powerful, but then his pride led to his downfall. His pride led to his downfall. He started resisting God's ways, was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he, he did his own thing. He entered the temple that God said you shouldn't do this in, and he burned incense on the altar of incense, which was against God's ways. And he blew it. You know, it was a danger sign. He had a heart problem. Pride. And remember, your heart shapes who you are. And pride is destructive. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Man, have I fallen a lot. I'm just telling you, this heart thing's a big deal. And if you don't see the danger sign and apply God's solution, you're going to go to the wrong places and experience the wrong life. So what's the solution for pride? <laughs> you're not going to hear this at work. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> Repentance. Repentance. Repentance simply means that you totally change direction. Instead of pursuing independence, you pursue dependence. Instead of seeking control, you 
surrender control. Instead of resisting God's ways, you follow God's ways. Repentance. Look at how Hezekiah did it in 2 Chronicles 32, 26. Hezekiah blew it because of pride, but he repented of his pride, the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. So the Lord's anger and wrath and judgment did not come upon them during the days of Hezekiah. Why? Because they solved their heart problem by repentance. Here's all I want you to see on this first weekend of Unforgettable. The quality of our lives stems from the quality of our heart. I know you like to get mad at God and you like to get mad at others and you blame your parents and I mean, I'm human too. I do all this stuff. But the truth is, it's all coming from inside you, me. So can I ask you a very, very pointed question? How's your heart? Do you see any of the danger signs? The reality is these are the issues that all of us wrestle with, not just yesterday but today and not just today but tomorrow. We're going to be wrestling with these for the rest of our lives. One of the things that strikes me in the Bible is that many of the stories that I just shared with you, these people ran the race really well for years and then it was towards the end that they blew it. That scares the living fire out of me. I don't want to be that guy who ran a really great race for a while and then blew it. Who had a really great marriage for a while but then blew it. Who was a really great dad for a while and then blew it. Who was a really wonderful pastor for a while, though it's not happened yet, it could somewhere in the future, and then blew it. That who followed Christ with passion for a while and then blew it. And that's exactly what will happen to me if I don't listen to and watch for and respond to the danger signs and it's exactly what will happen to you. And so what do we do? Well, I, I found that Jesus has gave, given me the perfect solution. He's given me two principles through which I can always return to when my heart is getting off. When I see these danger signs, I always have to go back to these two principles. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 22. He was asked, what's the greatest command? And in verse 37, Jesus replied... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And by the way, I can't leave that alone. The second's just like it. You can't do the first without the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then look at this turn of phrase. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. You want to live according to everything that God has called you to live? Those two commandments right there. Here's what I have found. When my heart's getting off, it's because one of these two areas is off. The first one, my heart is off unless I'm experiencing a genuine love relationship with God. My heart is always off unless I'm loving God with all my heart, experiencing a love relationship with him. Because when I'm not experiencing a love relationship with him, you know what I do? I pursue independence. I pursue my own way. I resist his ways and go my ways. You know what I do? I get filled with pride. You know what I do? I do things that make me go into hiding. You know what I do? I get greedy because I'm not experiencing his fullness in my life, so I have to fill my life with stuff. I, I do all the wrong things. I start unleashing my intensity in uncontrolled ways because I'm just angry. Unless I'm experiencing a love relationship with him. And One of the striking things is 
many people who had a relationship with God in their past blew it in their present because they were no longer experiencing the relationship. And I want to warn you, true of me, true for you, many of you who are followers of Jesus Christ haven't been experiencing a genuine love relationship with him in a long time. You sing the same songs, you say the same things, you might even open the Bible once in a while, but when was the last time you experienced his love? What's he been saying to you lately? If nothing, then I'm telling you, danger, danger, danger. You need to experience his love. Good news, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, right? But some of us here, maybe you're watching church online, some of us here have never experienced that relationship. Religion, yeah. Relationship, no. This is your moment. Just before I give you that last principle and we walk out of here, I'd just like to ask you to, would you just kind of quiet your heart and pray with me just for a moment? If you're a believer, you should be talking to God about the danger signs you're seeing. But if you're here and you've never experienced a relationship with him, take the walk with me right now. Take my words in this prayer and in your heart express them to God. Just say, God, I need a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you. I don't deserve it. I've done life without you. I've walked away from you, disobeyed you, sinned against you. But I believe that, Jesus, you died on that cross to forgive me of my sin and rose again to give me new life. And I'm repenting and putting my faith in you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I just want to encourage you, please let, let me know. I, we've put together a letter that can help you navigate through some next steps in your spiritual journey, but to get it to you, we need to know you prayed with me. And so in your programs, if you're in one of our live campus settings, is this connection card, and you just fill it out and check off that circle at the bottom that says, today you prayed to receive Jesus with me. And put it in one of the boxes, easy access at every exit, and we're gonna send you that information. And if you're watching church online, just hit the what next button on your screen and we'll do the same exact thing for you. But there's one last principle. If I'm going to keep my heart right, I need to be experiencing a genuine love relationship with God, but I also need to be experiencing a genuine love relationship with others. You know how I know when I'm hiding? When I'm not really connecting with others. Oh, I might even be in a small group circle of people, but I'm not sharing who I am. If that's where you are, you're not experiencing a genuine love relationship with others. Sometimes the person who knows us least is the person we've been married to for a long time. It's a problem. And not just community with, but serving. If I'm not reaching out and serving others, investing myself in others, then... There's a problem with me. But when I'm experiencing a genuine love relationship with God and experiencing a genuine love relationship with others, I find that my heart tends, tends to be in a good place. To the extent I'm experiencing these things, I then experience the quality of relationships and the quality of life that God designed for me. No regrets there. But to do it, I have to take care of my heart. For you to do it, you have to take care of your heart. So I can't think of a better way to end this talk than with God's words instead of mine. 
Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Hope to see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Tell